Luke chapter 22, verse 31 to 34. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, and he might save you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crawl this day until you deny three times that you know me. Verse 39 to 46. And he came out and went, and as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's row, and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Verse 54 to 62. Then they seized him and led him away, bring him into the high priest's house. And Peter was falling at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the roster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the roster crowds today, you will deny me three times. 
and he went out and wept bitterly. This is the word of God. I want you to look at the image on the screen of the boat on the waves. And I have a question for you to reflect on. I'm going to give you just uh, 20 seconds or so of silence to think about the question. How does your life over the last 18 months connect with this image? So how has your experience of the last 18 months in any way connected with this picture of the boat on the waves? Just take a few seconds to think about it. If you find yourself saying, I have no idea what I was supposed to be doing, that's okay. Uh, but here are some of the kinds of things that based on my conversations with people in our community that, um, that I imagine people might say looking at this picture. One is um, if the idea of shipwreck came to you, you know, here's a boat on, on a, a very tumultuous sea. If you were on that boat, would you be worried that the boat would not withstand it and might break apart? Would you be fearful that you might crash into the shore or that the, the boat might tip over because it was so uh, difficult? Um, for some people in our community, that was how a lot of last year felt. Overwhelmed, uh, certain intense work situations, but fear in the pandemic of illness, of death, maybe for yourself, maybe because of a vulnerable loved one. Um, for some, the last year and a half, uh, whether directly because of COVID or otherwise, may have had elements where you didn't know if you would make it and you feared. Shipwreck could be one. Another um, possible instinct some in our community would have would be exhaustion. You know, so here's, you know, we have this saying, being on, sailing on smooth waters. Uh, these are not smooth waters. And so for the boat simply to to keep going where it needs to go, it's now harder. There's wind, there's waves, and you could just take the sails down and stop, but then you'll wind up somewhere entirely else. If you're trying to get somewhere, it's now harder, and that's this last year. Things didn't work. Amazon Prime, four or five days, what are you paying for? Didn't take two days anymore. Lines outside of stores. Um, everything became harder, and you could just give up, and then see where you land at the end of this. Most people were trying to still be productive, have relationships, take care of themselves to some degree, but it's just tiring. There are forces against what you would normally doing. The basic things are now harder. Uh, some people may find themselves a bit queasy. <laughs> you know, in the picture, it's not clear how threatening these waves are, and so some of you may have saw them and thought, this is dangerous, but some may have thought, wow, that just seems like a bouncy ride. Maybe you're in the boat, not afraid that you're going to die. Um, but after 18 months of the up and down, uh, there's a bit of just a seasickness, a nausea. Uh, maybe some of you are finding yourselves just a little bit lightheaded, disoriented, Wherever you put your feet down to go, you're not sure if you can stand, and it's not major, it's not terrible, but you've forgotten what normal was, and so that could be part of this experience. Now, there are always people who will thrive in different circumstances, and so there's no guilt if you find yourself saying, I actually kind of liked more time at home and uh, less 
human interaction and those sorts of things. Some of you may have found that there were career opportunities or a life transition. So the person on the boat who was tired of eating beans and they said there's too much uh, weight on the boat volunteered and said, why don't we throw the beans off? Uh, and so some of you this last year were like, you know what, there were, there were just things I was committed to that it was just too much. My life was too busy. And, and I actually, I found that this year refined me, that, that going through this, it wasn't easy, but, um, but I actually feel a little bit lighter, a little bit more op optimistic. And if you look at the, the picture, there's, um, there's a light shining on the sails. It's actually, it's a picture of a storm, but it's hopeful that if, if the storm has been through the night and you could see the sun, the sun would mean that that the clouds may be going away, that maybe you're in the midst of the stormy sea, but, but if you can see an end to it, then you have the strength to keep going. Some of you have had that hope. Um, this is the graphic for our sermon series. Over the next few months, we're going to be looking at the New Testament book, First Peter. And it's a book that encourages a kind of faith that strengthens us, but what's helpful about the book is it's not just um, an inspiring book or some religious platitudes, but, but Peter is writing to a suffering community. And so he's writing to them saying, your faith is precious and it's gonna be tested, but keep going. God has given you life, live that life, uh, root yourself in your new identity and keep going and you'll find that maybe you'll be free of the suffering, maybe the suffering will refine things, but on the other side of it, there is a hope. And so um, the announcements in June about how great the vaccines were going to be in terms of helping us resume back to normal, here we are. Things are better, but they're still not normal. And as a community, we're gonna get through this next year together. Let's help each other, let's encourage one another. Peter is gonna be our teacher uh, from now through maybe um, March. We'll have a little break at Christmas for something uh, Christmassy. Uh, but other than December, we're going to be in First Peter. And he's going to be our teacher. And where I wanted to begin this morning, so the, the opening words of First Peter 1, just he identifies himself. This is the way the, uh, the ancient letters worked. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus. And so uh, why should we let Peter teach us? What does he have to offer us? And the answer is in that identification of himself as an apostle. An apostle is somebody who's sent. And he's not coming to us just as a guy with ideas, but he's somebody who is sent to us by Jesus to, uh, to write, to encourage, and to remind us of things that we need to know. And, and the, the, the word apostle would be a common word, just like a messenger or, or somebody today. But, but Jesus chose 12, and he gave them a title apostle, meaning um, he called them to follow him and to hear his teachings and to observe everything he did and to witness his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and to experience the coming of the Spirit on Pentecost and then going out. And so Peter is an apostle, not just a guy with a message, but somebody who Jesus appointed to say, I'm not going to tell my own story, but you're going to tell it. And we're going to hear from Peter, who's not recounting the deeds of Jesus, but encouraging us uh, to consider them and grow in them. There's a number of ways that we can uh, find uh, or, or ask the question, how do we know that Peter is worth listening to? Now, simply the fact that, that he was given this title by Jesus of apostle, that should help us. But if you look at his life story, the kinds of things he writes about in this book, the, the key themes or lessons of the book, are things that we get to see in him because he's there alongside Jesus in the Gospels that record 
the ministry of Jesus and the book of Acts after Jesus ascends into heaven. Uh, the first half of the book is really Peter establishing the ministry in Judea and Samaria. And then the book moves on to Paul who takes the message, the apostle to the ends of the earth. Um, but there's a lot of places we can look, but what's interesting is there, there's a, a change. So today we're gonna look at Luke, Luke chapter 22, where in the first verses that we have printed, uh, Jesus calls him Simon. That's his human name, his given name. But he has a new name, Peter, the rock. He will, he will be an anchor, a foundation. And we could pick up something in the book of Acts to show where Peter, who's been changed by the Spirit in Acts 2, with new boldness, with new effectiveness, goes out, and that would help remind us uh, why Peter could write to us to say, live that life in the Spirit. Be courageous and, and live by faith. We could do that. I thought it might actually help us. Um, maybe this year, more than ever, it's been a year of discouragement and struggling, but, but a, a year where our own weakness has been exposed, that rather than showing you the greatness of Peter filled with the Spirit and how you can have a fruitful life in that, Peter encourages us in that, let's begin with the humanity of Peter, once called Simon, at a low moment where we find when he writes in Peter and says, don't live according to the old identity, but live this new life by the Spirit. Don't live according to what you think you can do, but, but live by this hope. Um, for Peter, he's not just telling us that because it sounds good. It's because he's really seen the power of the Spirit to change his life. And so, as we move into 1 Peter, there, there are three sort of themes that are in the book. These are not the major or only themes, but, but coming out of the, the passage in Luke, three things you could expect in the Christian life that Peter will encourage us further on as we go through his book. And I'm putting it this way, uh, we could expect an alienating adversary, an interceding advocate, and a faith-strengthening community. So I want to begin with an alienating adversary. We're looking at a low point in Peter's life because he has been tempted, he's been tested, and he failed. Um, and so we begin in Luke 22:31, and I'm really just staying in the first couple of verses, verses 31 and 32. Uh, I'll comment on some others, but, but uh, where it begins, verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. So here's this figure, the Satan. The, the, the term Satan is not a proper name. Uh, it's a word meaning the accuser or the adversary. So Jesus is saying, uh, we're, you're not aware that we're about to enter into a very dark and difficult situation. It's going to be a spiritual challenge. And Peter, uh, the pressure is to sift you. And that's one of the key goals of this adversary, this accuser, is to separate out, to isolate, to alienate. That's one of the most effective tools, which is to, to get people alone where their own weakness, uh, the strengths that they always depended on are insufficient. And that's what we're going to see happening to Peter here. Peter doesn't yet know in verse 33, when Jesus says, you will deny me, verse 33, Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I take that as a sincere statement, but he doesn't have to go to prison or to death. Uh, Jesus is going to a certain kind of death on the cross. Peter wasn't necessarily aware exactly what Jesus was going to face. 
This was a statement of pride, but by pride, I, I don't read Peter as being this pompous, arrogant person. I could be wrong, but as I've uh, read the Bible throughout the years, I think he's confident, and confidence is okay. There's a difference between pride and confidence. If you sort of have experience and you know what you can do, um, leaning on that as you move forward, that's good. Pride is different. Pride is when you're not willing to acknowledge weakness. So Peter was confident, yes. Um, Peter was courageous. He was committed in that statement, I will go with you to prison or death, I take as sincere. I could be wrong. But he didn't know what he was facing, and, and, and the element of pride in it was he did not know either. He did not know now. He did not have the strength to face what Jesus was about to face. So Jesus tells him, um, before the rooster crows, when you hear that sound, you will have denied me three times. You, you're right now confident, but there's a darkness coming that you'll have no confidence for, no ability for. And so um, the words are fulfilled. Jesus is seized and arrested, and Peter, we didn't read it, but he shows his courage. He's ready to fight. He, he, these weren't empty words. He really had conviction. Um, but as Jesus is taken away, here's Peter following and maybe you imagine him being cowardly. Um, maybe he was. I kind of imagine him uh, there by himself, constructing a plan. What on earth do I do? <laughs> There's Jesus. There are these religious leaders. Here are the, the guards coming. What on earth can one person do? Um, but while he's thinking about that, people are asking him questions as he's looking on, watching, following. So he didn't run home and hide. He's following. But these questions come, hey, aren't you with that guy? Man, I am not. Sounds to me like a hippie from the 60s. I always wonder about that translation of man. Did they say that in the first century? Man, I am not. Dude, who are you talking to? And so uh, then it comes again, and it intensifies where he starts to swear, I am not with him. Does he know at that moment he's fulfilling the words of Jesus? You will not stand, but you will uh, give in to temptation. You will deny me. And then there's a sound of the rooster crowing, and that sound, the audio cue, wakes him up. Um, but here in verse 61, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And I think that sound alerted him to the situation and reminded him of the words, but that verse 61, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. I suspect that that was also an important component of the stinging nature, that, that it's not only that Peter denied him, but he was seen in his faithlessness. When, when Jesus would have needed him most, he looks, and at that point he remembers the words. Oh, Jesus said that I would deny him three times. My goodness, that's just what I did. And the result is shame. He goes out and he weeps bitterly. Rather than being strengthened and realizing I did something wrong, let me run in and grab Jesus and break him out. At that point, he's been seen in his faithlessness, and he has shown not to have the strength, and so he goes out and he weeps bitterly. You know, this adversary, the accuser, has many tools at his disposal, lies are one of them. That's an advantage from a pragmatic perspective. God can't lie, but the accuser can. Um, but the interesting thing about the experience of shame uh, is that sometimes shame comes through lies where, where we're told, uh, where there are interpretations or things that are untrue said. 
and yet it's effective. It overwhelms us. But um, even more powerful is the truth. And this is what happens when, when the church is a gathering of broken, sinful people needing forgiveness, is there are true things that can be pointed out and provoked uh, in all of us. And it becomes impossible then to get out of the experience of shame because it's one thing if you're fighting lies and manipulation. That's hard enough as it is. But when you're convinced ultimately they're right, <laughs> I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not moral. I did fail. This was humiliating. You know, the voice of Jesus is to call you out of it. But the voice of the accuser is to alienate you. Stay there. Why would you come out? <laughs> Isn't it easier just to stay where you are? I had a conversation uh, a few years ago with a married couple who were divided on whether or not to stay at the church they were at. They were not at our church. Um, and one spouse felt that the, the culture of the church was very judgmental, the teaching. And so that particular spouse said, I don't want to stay here because every week I'm just being told I'm not good enough. And the other spouse said, I actually find this to be quite an encouraging church. And so they were trying to think through, so what do we do with that? A few years later, what I did not know and what one partner in this marriage didn't know is uh, the spouse was involved in an extramarital affair. Now, I think it's entirely possible that the church could have been judgmental. I mean, at the time as they were raising this, uh, we make mistakes and sometimes we have the wrong emphasis, the wrong accent, and, and maybe they failed to provide grace. Um, but that, that would have been helpful information for the spouse to have and for me to have. Every week I go and I feel like I'm being condemned. I think I would have wanted to explore, uh, are you being condemned because of a judgmental community or is the word of truth keeping you from not wanting to be seen? Because isn't that what we're doing when we gather? We, we're coming and saying, Lord, we believe that you're good uh, and we need help. And because you're merciful and kind, we, we're bringing the fullness of ourselves and saying, Lord, oh, Go everywhere you can and fix me. <laughs> make me better. Make me stronger. Shame keeps us from wanting to be seen. It keeps us protecting some sphere of our life and saying, you can have part of me, but, but just don't go there. It's painful. I'm going to protect it. And so here's this person saying, every week I show up and I'm reminded how miserable I was. And that could have been the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but it could have been the voice of the accuser, the very one that said, do this because it'll be great is now saying, I can't believe you did that. And you think you belong here with all these nice, smiley people? First of all, they're a bunch of fakes too. Hate them. But even if they're fake, you don't belong here. That's not the voice of the Redeemer. That's the voice of the adversary. And Peter is told, Satan wants to sift you. He wants to separate us out. And he has various things at his disposal, but the exploitation of our genuine weakness is makes his voice very different than the voice of Jesus who says, I have known you and I want you to follow me. I call you to draw near. The voice that says don't. That's for other people. It's going to hurt. You're going to embarrass yourself. Stay where you are. That's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so we have to remember that our faith needs to mature. It needs to strengthen. It needs to, to grow. Peter's going to help us. But while we're growing, we have lies, we have accusation, and we have truth we don't want to deal with. And that's going to keep us from drawing near. 
and Jesus does not want to keep you from drawing near. He wants you to come closer. So we have this alienating adversary. But here's the second thing we have, which is what we fundamentally need given that part of our world. We have an interceding advocate. So here's Peter, who's going to tell us, as he writes to us, be strong in the faith, trust Christ, the good shepherd, go where he goes. He can tell us that because he went out and wept bitterly. Um, He remembered the words of Jesus, and he saw that he did not have the spiritual vitality, the strength, the life to withstand, but Jesus did. And you can see that prayer is important here. Now, there's a number of reasons why it's important to pray. There are pragmatic reasons. We just talk about the effectiveness. God is generous. If you ask for things, God will often give them. Um, But, you know, if you're going to pray over longer seasons, uh, it doesn't always work out that way. What is it fundamentally that we need in prayer? Well, one of the basic things is prayer is basically relational. In prayer, we are self-consciously going into the presence of God. We're drawing near, and we're communicating, and we're relating, and we're asking for his participation in our lives. We want God to see us where we need help, or we want God to see us where we're thriving so we could thank him. Prayer is relational. And so Jesus wants to make sure that at a time when there's another voice coming in, that they're praying. So in verse 40, when they come to the place, the Garden Gethsemane, this place of testing and darkness, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. There was a spiritual vitality that they needed that they didn't have because they were worn down. Pray. At this point, you don't have the strength, but God will give it to you. Pray for it. And in verse 46, he finds them, it says, to, to sorrow. Uh, just the full picture. I'm not going to go through the details today of Jesus' experience, but, um, but how discouraging this would have been as he's seeing the sifting happen right there in front of him, his own friends, his own community. Verse 46, he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. But they haven't been praying. Jesus has been. Jesus has come to the Father in a hard moment, And he's there seeking God's strengthening. And how does God strengthen us? He provides us with people. He provides us with community. That community would have been a source of encouragement for Jesus throughout his ministry. But now he's facing the cross, and they're tired. And so, again, I tend to read these people sympathetically because I sit down intending to pray, and then I find myself opening my eyes having slept. And that's not good spiritually. And... uh, You know, here's Jesus, verse 43. There appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. He's now about to face the cross. He feels the weight of what it's going to cost. And in his prayer, it's clear he's not excited about what's about to happen. Where are the people who will stand with me? Who will cheer me on? Who will remind me that it's worth it as I lay down my life for these people who have, we've spent these three years together? And he opens his eyes Wait a second, their eyes are closed, but not in prayer. They're snoring. What's happening? In prayer, as the son drew near to the father, an angel strengthened him. And many of you know the experience of of not being able to count on your friends, sometimes because they're bad friends, but sometimes they're good friends, but they're tired. You're going through something that your friends care about, but they just don't get at the same level that you're experiencing it. All of us need to be able to draw near to somebody who will make sure that we're strengthened and not alone. Prayer 
is that gift. It's not just the discipline of praying when you don't want to pray. It's knowing that if you draw near to God in your weakness, he will strengthen you. So seek him persistently in prayer. Um, Seek the praying community. (laughs) But if your friends fail you, um, be strengthened. You know, I have many weeks where I'm alone working on my sermon in great discouragement. And I will pray and God will sometimes encourage me. Um, But sometimes I get a text or an email on a Friday, somebody saying, hey, Scott, uh, I've been praying for your sermon prep this week. I don't need an encouraging, it would be better that you pray and don't send me an email saying that you did than if you sent me an email saying you did, but you didn't pray. Uh, It's more important to have the prayer. But in my weakness, where, where I'm seeing that my own prayers are not producing fruit, the encouragement that comes from others who have prayed for me Uh, That's what we have in this community. I'm grateful for it because I need God's strengthening. We help one another. Here's Jesus who's praying about the situation and and they're not with him. And so so Peter hears this rooster crow reminding him of the words of Jesus, Peter, you will deny me. Um, But it reminded Peter of other words that Jesus spoke. Verse 32. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you could see for Peter, outside weeping, remembering that he really thought he could stand, and Jesus told him he couldn't. So how does Jesus get back, why does Peter get back up? Well, he remembered that Jesus didn't simply predict his falling away, but Jesus prayed for him, that his faith would not fail. And that's really the nature of the Christian life, of growing and maturing, is is the discouraging reality that just when we think we've made strides, we see new aspects of our weakness. And then we're discouraged, and we want to be alienated, and we want to take on the old identity and the old name. And what we're told is draw nearer in those situations and come to God, who will strengthen and encourage you, and let's be a community that's doing that for each other. Uh, Peter, you will deny me three times. Satan will sift you. He will try. But I have prayed for you. Why did Peter have the opportunity to write this letter? It's not that he got his life together after this. It's because of the intercession of an advocate. We have an adversary, but we have an advocate, Jesus, who did not give into temptation. Jesus, who prayed, though there was a conflict in what he was feeling and what he knew was the will of the Father. And Jesus, who went without the support and the encouragement for the very people that he would give his life for. Um, Last week, because Saturday was the 20th anniversary of of the events of September 11th, there was so much news and postings about it. There was a photo I saw that has a very interesting story. It's a photo of a fireman from Brooklyn who died that day. His remains were never found, and so the family assumes that he died. That's the reasonable conclusion. Some years after... Um, on one of the anniversaries, the 7th or 8th or something like that, the family w- went downtown and they were in the museum. Um, and somebody who worked there said, oh, if you have a family member, we can see if we can have any information about them. They gave the name Gary Box. Uh, and there was a photo tagged. And, and they pulled up a photo of a, of a fireman, but it wasn't Gary. This weird thing, they put the wrong name with the photo. But it created the possibility for the family to say, wait, there are all these photos that with names not tagged, and they spent hours searching, and they came across this photo of Gary Box, the the son, the husband. 
Um, and the photo is him in the, in the battery tunnel, the tunnel that goes from downtown Brooklyn to lower Manhattan. And in the photo, it's all cars stopped in traffic. Uh, and in the distance in the background is the fire truck. And there's Gary Box with his fire clothing on and his materials uh, running through the battery tunnel. Um, for this family, I, I suspect the real hope would be one day to find out that their son was actually alive, but, but wouldn't that be kind of weird? How would you explain missing all these years? I think for a family who accepted that their son was not alive, could you imagine the encouragement to know that it's not simply he died doing his job? He's a firefighter. He was called to go into the building. Um, but there he is on one side of the tunnel in Brooklyn, running through the tunnel. I imagine myself getting to the end of the tunnel and needing to sit down for two hours. I would have lived because I never would have made it to the building. And here's a guy that, that ran into the building with all of that equipment at a time when everybody else is running out. Why are people running out? Because they're cowardly? <laughs> no, that's exactly what you do when you're in this building. Get out as quick as you can. That's the instruction. Go out of the building. It's an event that was so terrible that those of us who were uh, alive and, and uh, of the age where we were experiencing it at that time, disorienting, you don't want to know that humans are capable of such evil. You don't want to know that the city that you live in is that vulnerable. Pictures like this wound up being very powerful because it tells a different story. It, it says when, when everyone is running away, here's this guy who's running with everything against him a mile to go in by himself. And he may not have intended to give his life, but he willingly did. He, he wasn't working for a paycheck. And doesn't that give us hope in humanity that there might be somebody like that? And here's Peter, who's saying that we had been trained, we had been taught, we explained everything, he was there, he was the one who went before us, but we all failed, we were all confused, we were all afraid, we didn't know what to do. But friends, I could tell you that I saw him go anyway. We ran, and he went into the darkness. And he did it because there's no one like him. Uh, no one that will fall for the lies of the accuser. No one whose sin can be exploited because he was the perfect son of God. And yet he was a human who felt our temptation, who dreaded suffering. But while we ran the other way, he went in, um, because he is a savior. And Peter, having had that experience, how do you go from outside weeping to coming back in? It's when, when you realize that the adversary is worth ignoring and the redeemer is the one to listen to, the one to follow. Peter writes to us to say, uh, friends, there is life that you can have through this redeemer, through Christ who gives life and he will strengthen you. He's a good shepherd. Follow him. And we get to the end of 1 Peter, and he says, the devil prowls around like a lion trying to devour some. Stand firm in your faith. There's a faith more precious than gold. It gets refined by fire. Suffering is real. But if you keep your eyes on the good shepherd, um, you will make it through because he's gone before you. He has gone into the darkness so that you never, never need to sit alone yourself in the darkness. And that's where our shame is dealt with. Why would you listen to a voice that would say, stay where you are, it's gonna to be too painful? Listen to the voice that says, even if it hurts, come, because you'll be better off. I invite you, that's the voice of Jesus, come, have life in me. And so, 
these words Peter must have had encouragement from. Peter, I have prayed for you. When you couldn't stand, you will stand because I've been there. Do you know Jesus prayed for us? Read John 17. Uh, Are you discouraged? Do you have enough faith to face whatever you're facing? Jesus prayed for you. Um, You don't have enough strength, but you can keep going. We have an intercessor. We have an advocate. So here's the last thing that I'm going to talk about, which is a faith-strengthening community. A question I wrestled with this week is, did Peter's faith fail? And here's my question, but, or here's my answer, but it's a tentative answer. I, I uh, haven't ran it by the theologians. I don't think his faith failed. Peter failed. Uh, Peter failed because his faith was weak. His faith did not give him what he needed to do what he should have done. But Jesus prayed that Peter's faith would not fail. I'm going to interpret that to mean that his faith didn't, even though he failed. But the evidence of that is not that he gave into temptation. The evidence is that he returned, because that's where his faith remained. His faith uh, in that moment failed him because his faith was weak. He didn't have the strength of faith to face it. So Jesus urged him, pray that you will have that strength of faith. But when you have failed, it's another choice of faith. Will I go off on my own and allow my misery and self-pity and dejection to control things, or will I trust that the message of forgiveness and the God of grace really is true? And Peter chose to go back. And so his faith was weak, and he failed. But I think that that weak faith was strengthened in that moment. And so when Peter writes to us about this faith that is precious, if it's a faith that comes out of Jesus who dies for us, Jesus who intercedes for us, nothing that we contribute and bring ourselves. Yes, we will fail. But it's faith that brings us back again and again. And it's that kind of faith we need to encourage one another with in the community. In verse 32, the second part, uh, Jesus' instruction, after you have denied me, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And so Jesus prays that his faith would not fail. He fails, but he says, but when you have turned again, Jesus knows that Peter will not be sifted and separated out because that decision is God's, the good shepherd who calls, who chooses. And so he says, uh, you will fail, um, but when you have turned, strengthen the brothers. Why does Peter write his letter to a suffering church? I think he takes very seriously these words. My hope is in his mind. (laughs) The more powerful words are, Peter, you will deny me three times. Should not be that. The powerful words should be, but I have prayed for you. And when you have returned, strengthen the brothers. Peter writes this letter to strengthen the community, us, the global community, the church throughout the age. So we're going to look at his words who from a guy who was there in weakness, a guy who experienced humiliation, a guy who failed Jesus despite his proximity. He said, I lived like Simon. The Spirit came upon me, and I've been given a new name. And now as Peter, I will go out strengthened. And we need that strength. Our faith, all of us, has vulnerabilities. And at times we will fail. We will face things that our pride will keep us from seeing, our weakness, or our fear 
we're so in tune with our weakness that we won't rise to the strong uh, situation that we may find ourselves in. We're told, make every choice by faith. Do the faithful thing every step of the way. But when you fail, turn again. And believe the invitation of Christ, the one who forgives, the one who speaks truth, and the one who takes shame away. And draw near, and draw near in prayer. And so, so faith is something that we exercise, just like you exercise a muscle. If you're weak, uh, it doesn't come instantly, but the exercise of the body leads to a strengthened body. It's as you use faith that it gets strengthened. You have to use it every day. Every day you have choices to face, ethical choices, practical choices, uh, discipline choices, whatever they are. Everything is to be done in light of this new life, this new identity. I'm going to believe the goodness of God. I'm going to believe that there's hope. I'm going to believe that doing the right thing will, will pay off. And so I'm going to do those things. I'm going to live by faith. As you exercise faith, when you succeed, be encouraged. Stay humble. Don't become proud. Um, but, but be strengthened in your faith. And when you fail, turn again. That's what repentance is. The word repent is also a word that sounds like it stings because of the, the stereotype of the judgmental preacher announcing judgment on everyone. Repentance is about turning. <laughs> it's the adversary that says, turn away. It sounds safe. It sounds like it won't hurt. God says, turn to me. That's risky. What's he going to see when he looks? This is why faith is needed. You need to believe the theology of the Bible. You need to believe that God is holy, good, and just. But you need to believe God is merciful, forgiving, and gracious. And when we have that faith and when we exercise that faith, even when we fail, in our turning, we come back stronger. We're, we're better prepared for the next time. And if you're not living by faith, your faith will be weak enough. You won't be able to withstand anyone, anything. But if you're exercising your faith, you will grow in strength and you'll find that you're able to withstand the pressures of this world more and more because you're thinking less about yourself and you're focused on the Redeemer who, who you're following and you're allowing his voice, not the voice that's, that you've gotten into the habit of listening to over the years, the accuser. Um, learn to discern the voice of Christ and trust him. And let's be a community that strengthens one another. Um, Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the door starting the Reformation, the church door, and the first one was a reminder that the whole of life is repentance. It's a constant turning, and one of the things he was saying is we're so busy turning away from God, trying to do uh, moral things so that we feel confident enough to go back into God's presence. And he's saying it's actually, uh, that's going to keep you away from God because you'll never be good enough. It's faith in God's mercy and what Christ has done. And so all of life being repentance means those of you who don't believe Christianity, those of you who may not understand Christianity, the invitation to repentance is not a harsh, you're not good enough. It's an honest, deep down you know you're not good enough, but I'm inviting you to turn to me and to believe that God is gracious and he will help you. But we start to think that repentance is that one-time turnaround, and Luther reminds us that the daily life of the Christian is repentance, a constant seeing that we didn't believe. And so we, we're, we're wandering away and we don't want to be sifted. We don't want to be alienated. We don't want to be isolated where we could have a voice that speaks to us in our darkness, but we want to come back into the light, into the community where the voice of scripture, illumined by the spirit, reminds you of who you are in Christ, this new identity. 
Friends, we need to be that kind of community and we need to speak sometimes the kind of truth that stings. But we do it not in a spirit of arrogance, um, not intending to hurt, but because being committed to the truth, we're a community that says even if it hurts, uh, God is gracious and so let's strengthen one another, let's encourage one another and the truth will sting and because of that, let's make sure that the truth of God's kindness and the possibility of new life in the spirit is spoken and lived loudly. So we could be a community who comes as ourselves, not overwhelmed by shame, not with the false delusions of pride, uh, but with a faith, not in our works and not in our faith. That's our problem. Some of us have faith in faith. And when our faith fails, we think we have failed and we're gone. Um, Don't have faith in faith. Have faith in Christ. Your works don't save you. Your faith does not save you. The Redeemer saves you. Faith is how in trust you draw near to him and you believe what he tells you and you follow him. Is your faith weak? I think all of us have a lot of growing to do. God will strengthen us, but he will only strengthen us when we come near and trust him. Let's spend this next year after whatever this last miserable year was, knowing it's not going to be easy, but let's encourage one another. Let's pray for one another, and let's remember that if we have life in the Spirit, um, yeah, we could fail. Let's not aim to fail, but if we fail, let's be the kind of people that don't point and laugh or distance ourselves, but, but reach out for those being sifted and say, come back. Uh, we may not be too kind, but, but we gather in the name of Christ, and he is, And so come to him and let's try to be more like him and express the same kindness so that we can strengthen one another. Let me pray for us. Our Father, um, yes, in this room, there are bright, talented people. Sure, let's be confident of, of what we've learned, what we've done, and the possibilities of what lays before us in our ambition. But let none of us fall victim to pride to a foolish self-confidence apart from you, where we depend on what people think of us or on some aspect of our resume, and we have no true strength for uh, the real challenges of life. Lord, uh, deep within all of us is a need for healing, and so we pray for that gracious working of the Spirit to do what only you can do and to bring us out of darkness even further this week and more into your light. We pray that you would see us not in order to humiliate and condemn, but in order to uh, help us know that if we've been found by you and if we hear your voice, um, drawing near is the place of grace and strength and healing. Lord, we have to learn a lot in our minds and our theology. We have to learn a lot in our experience, but we also need a strengthening of faith to really trust you more than we trust ourselves and what we see. And so may this be a year that that precious faith is refined. Uh, We pray there would be great things to celebrate, that we would have a growing confidence in your goodness. We pray that if there are challenges ahead, we would not be sifted, but that your spirit would uh, put our eyes firmly on the good shepherd who goes before us, and that we would follow, and that if we fail like we're failing, that you would keep us um, by your strength and power. And Lord, may we be a community that not only encourages one another, but Um, invites many to turn and to come in and to share in this spirit-strengthening work. 
Bless this year, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.